Good morning. This is the Eat with Grace podcast with your hosts, Brooke and Jackie Neinheis. And we're here to push back on the culture around food and nutrition from a biblical perspective. Today, we're going to look a little bit at the power struggles that you can get into with toddlers. And it even can start younger than when they're toddlers. I've, I've seen um, children as young as six months old exercising their will by either throwing their food on the floor or spitting it out. And um, parents sometimes really overreact at these situations and it becomes a power struggle. And we're gonna talk a little bit today from a biblical perspective of the division of responsibility. There's a, a wonderful mother and pediatrician who has um, six children and her name is Ellen Slater. She is just a wonderful resource for understanding division of responsibility. This division of responsibility is that the parent is responsible for having healthy food in the house and, and at a, of course, infant and toddler age, putting that in front of them. But it's the child's responsibility of what goes into their mouth. And it really prevents some of these power struggles. But we all know that it's just so easy to have a power struggle between parents and the infants or toddlers. And I was just wondering, what have you seen in your practice? What kind of uh, situations do parents bring to you? I would say some of the most common struggles around food that parents bring to me with their kids. Um, one is either they're very picky in what they eat or they, they don't eat much at their meals and then they want to snack 30 minutes later. Um, and so they feel like their kids are constantly snacking all day. Um, so I would say those are, those are the two that I see most often. What kind of advice do you share with them? What kind of things uh, seem to help with some of these situations? Right. And so like you mentioned, um, Ellen Satter's division of responsibility is my go-to. I usually, I usually send people to her website. It's um, ellensatterinstitute.org if anyone wants to look up. And we can put that in the show notes too for more information. Um, but like you said, like parents have a responsibility around food and mealtimes and kids have a responsibility. And what happens with the power struggle and control issue is that a lot of times parents try to take on the responsibilities uh, that should be the kids. And so the, the parents trying to take like all of the responsibility around mealtimes and try to maybe enforce some um, rules around meals, uh, whether it's around um, types of foods or amounts of foods, or maybe like uh, a hierarchy or priority of foods. You know, I, I see a lot of parents will like force a child when well, I say force, um, but, you know, encourage or maybe have some kind of rule about, um, you know, you have to eat your vegetables first before you can have this, or you need to finish your plate before you're allowed dessert and stuff. And so what I see with these rules um, and this, this control, which I think is very it's very well-intentioned. You know, the parents are just concerned that their kids are getting adequate nourishment and nutrition. Um, I, I see it create actually more problems in those family dynamics uh, than, than it helps. And so, like you said, with the, with the division of responsibility, the parent's responsibility 
is to provide the meal that is served. So they determine what foods are served and it's the parent's responsibility to make sure that they're serving a variety of foods, okay? Uh, to make sure that you're not always catering maybe to just the taste preferences of a specific child or of your family. You do want to try a lot of different things and expose them to a lot of different tastes and textures and flavors. So doing a variety of foods, the parent also then gets to determine when meals are served. So you should have some kind of set meal times. Have a breakfast, have a, a lunch or dinner, and then a dinner or supper, depending on what you call it. Um, and then have scheduled snack times in there too, so that if the child isn't eating well at a meal for some reason, that they have the ability to have a snack later so that they're not waiting five or six hours before they get to eat next. Um, and you get into that excessive um, hunger type, type state. And then the parent also gets to determine where the meal is served. So the parents get to determine if the meal is going to be served at the dinner table and the family sits down together, or if it's going to be served at the counter or in front of a TV. I mean, that's that's really up to the parent. Um, and so hopefully the parents making good choices in those areas. And then the child gets to determine which of the foods they're going to eat at that meal and how much. And that is where the struggle comes in is because the parents want them to eat a little bit of everything or, you know, maybe, maybe choose more of like, you know, what they would consider quote unquote healthy foods um, and less of maybe the less, the less than ideal uh, foods. And that's where the power struggle comes in. You know, not all of those are really good ideas and, and they're very nutritious, uh, health minded kind of rules. But the problem comes in that sometimes like in the infancy and toddler ages, they have so little control over anything that food is one area that infants and toddlers seem to know there's a little bit of power there that they, they um, can have power. So if parents start making rules and start thinking, well, this is the way it has to be, then the child can pick up on that. And, and that's one place they can push back on. Not that they really at the beginning care that much about maybe um, this food or that food, but as they see their parents react, mm -hmm. they are going after the reaction and it really doesn't have very much to do with the food. Now yes. we're talking about this subject and there are going to be some parents out there that say, oh, I just don't understand. My child, you know, is very easy. Well, we're really talking about where the, the worst power struggles come in is with strong-willed children mm -hmm. or infants. And the thing about strong-willed children is often they get it because the parents are also that way. So you have two very strong-willed people. And I tell them, if your child is strong-willed, you do not want to set up um, a situation where you're going to see who's going to outlast the other. Right. Um, have you ever seen the movie, A River Runs Through? There's a scene oh. in that movie yep. where the child is given a bowl of oatmeal and the child will not eat it. Okay. And so the family's all sitting around, the child won't eat it. They don't give him anything else. Um, he has to sit there the entire time until he eats it. Well, the next morning, he is still sitting there with that bowl of oatmeal in front of him. He was strong-willed enough that he was never going to give in and right. eat that oatmeal. Well, so 
you know, the parents lost because in the end, they took away the oatmeal, the, the next day started. So almost 100% of the time, if you set up a power struggle or rules with your children, a strong-willed child will win. Right. And they might not win other battles, but they can win with food because I've seen children pocket, okay, if you can't, if you're going to force them to eat it and they have to put it in their mouth, they'll pocket the food mm -hmm. or they'll eat it and throw it up or they'll, right. there's all kinds of scenarios of how right. in the end they right. win. Right. So, you know, I just think it's a really good idea with all children, but especially strong-willed children, just don't even make it an issue. Don't have rules. Let them let it be one arena of life where they really get to choose how they want to eat, how much they want to eat, and yes. you know whether they're going to eat at all. Yes. No, I love that. And I think the more that we make food an issue, the more it becomes an issue. And so the more we try to, um, like I said, whether it's a well-intentioned, um, concerned parent, you know, worrying about the the nourishment of their child. Um, the more that we enforce some kind of rules or um, pressure them to eat something that they don't want to or pressure them to eat when they don't want to, um, it just, it backfires and it actually creates more problems in the long run. And so that's where like <clears throat> this division of responsibility is such a scary thing for so many parents because it's giving up, um, it's giving up that control and trying to trust your, your child, your, your you know, preschool aged or toddler child uh, with making their decisions around food. And of course, there's going to be some times where maybe they make decisions that you, that you don't agree with. Like maybe they'll only eat one thing that you made at the meal when you think they should be eating a little bit of everything. And you need to be okay with that. You know, like your child is not going to become malnourished um, as long as you're providing a variety of foods, like they will learn to eat a variety of foods. They will learn to try new foods and pick different things. Um, like kids are resilient. They, they will do that. Um, but if you serve them the same thing all the time, because you know, they'll eat it and that's what they like. I mean, your chance of having some kind of deficiency is probably going to be a little bit higher in that setting than it would be in an instance where you're providing them a variety of different tastes and textures and flavors. So yeah. And it's really nice we're talking about this in infancy and as toddlers, because it just keeps getting harder and harder if you don't set a really good stage from the beginning. Yeah. So like from the very beginning, um, when, when a child is choosing the foods to eat, you know, it's super easy just to put nutritious foods in front of them because you're in control of that. And um you know, probably the only times that it's really difficult is when you go to fast food restaurants mm -hmm. and you're eating food and it's like, okay, then what food do we give the child? So that, that is a really hard, hard situation, but at least for um, a period of time, you can carry some food along to fast food restaurants to give an infant. But at a time where they start noticing that their food is different than your food, what do you do in those situations? Right. And this is where I get into the importance of allowing maybe those junk foods or forbidden foods that people have in your house and making them normal. 
Um, because when we only like, if we control everything in our house and we only serve, let's see what's, you know, quote unquote, nutritious foods. Um, when our kids are out, say they go to a friend's birthday party or they go to other people's houses to eat, or they go out to a restaurant or something, your kids are going to gravitate towards all of those foods that they never get to have at home. Like I have a friend who, you know, doesn't allow her kids to have soda like ever, like pop is just not allowed. And so when they go to a friend's house for a celebratory party, um, all of a sudden there, she's finding out that her four-year-old just drank three cans of soda. Well, if that kid was allowed to have soda and it wasn't this forbidden thing, maybe that child wouldn't binge on it or go in excess in those types of settings, you know? Um, and so we, we, when we create these food rules, we, we set up again, this hierarchy of food um, and our kids are going to gravitate towards those forbidden things that we don't allow them to have because they're just seen to be as this like, Ooh, this must be super special. And this must be such a great thing if my mom never lets me have it. So I'm going to have as much as I can of it when I do get the opportunity. Um, and that's when we see like as kids grow older, when they have the ability to go to maybe grocery stores or convenience stores and buy some of their own foods and snacks, they're going to probably buy a whole bunch of those things that you don't allow them to have. They might end up hiding it from you. They might end up eating excessive amounts of it because their parent doesn't allow it to have it. They know it's not something that's allowed at home. Um, so if you can have a candy drawer at home, if you can have chips, if you can have pop, everyone's all like, you don't have to serve these things on a regular basis, but if you can have them available and make them a part of like normalcy and something that, that isn't this, this bad forbidden thing, you're going to see a much healthier relationship in your kids and the way that they react to those foods and the way that they self-regulate, um, even their intake of them. That's really great information. And I think that self-regulation is where we're headed. We're trying to help um, children to grow up with a really self, uh, a healthy self kind of regulation with food. And just like adults, you know, some days are going to be better than others. But, you know, when we label certain foods as being healthier, like a muffin healthier than a cupcake with no frosting, I'm really not sure there's that much difference. I, I think that we just need to put it like, this is all food. And, um, you know, children start to pick up the ideas that uh, fruits and vegetables are really good for us. And we need to include those in all of our meals. But there's room for all these other foods too, especially if you start out with uh, the bulk of your meals being whole grains and fruits and vegetables. And I know um, my kids, I remember from a very, very young age when I would make a stir fry, that's a little bit hard for kids to accept because they typically, I think anyway, kids kind of like individual foods better than this big mixture of food sometimes. So when I would put a stir fry on the table, I always served my food and each of the, on the table, and each of the kids could get their own food um, whenever they're at an age that they could do that. Yep. And I think I've given the example before that, that my son really liked the meat in the stir fries. Right. Even as a tiny, tiny guy, he would pick out that meat and eat it. And I just right. wouldn't say anything. My um, 
daughters were more likely to pick out certain vegetables that they like better than the other vegetables. And I wouldn't say anything about that either, but they're grown adults today. And I noticed that my son eats all the stir fry and my daughters eat all the stir fry, no longer picking out those things. So they did go through picky stages, but I didn't make it a power struggle by forcing them to eat something or put something on their plate that they didn't want. So by not having a rule like that, then there was no power struggle because they were making those choices. And every, I considered everything in my stir fry to be fairly healthy. And um, so they, then they were able to choose how they wanted. So I think there's a lot of different family dynamics and the way we're looking at food, but sometimes food's not even the issue, right? The issues are outside of the dinner table. Even maybe the child is feeling like they don't have choices or they don't have much control, but food is one area they're going to control because they can. Right. Yeah. No, I, I love your, your stir fry idea. I think that's great because I think, and if you can, you know, eat in family style at a dining room table and allow the child to actually dish themselves up. Now, of course, if they're too young to do this, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do this, but maybe in your like four, five, six, seven year old ages, when they're allowed to actually pick which foods they want and put it on the plate, that empowers them to, um, to eat the things that they put there. Like it gives them a sense of like you said, like of choice and responsibility. And they're actually more likely to eat those vegetables rather than the parent putting it on the plate and saying, you have to eat that. That is that power struggle that's there. So when we allow the child to make that decision, it makes, you know, even the healthy foods more appealing to the kids because they got to play a part in it and they got to make the decision on their own. So, yeah, I love that. Yeah. And, and I also remember, you know, um, talking with other parents in my counseling that um, they would get to the point where the child might only eat one or two things. Mm-hmm. And I actually had a patient whose um, child would only eat chicken nuggets. Mm-hmm. And you have to ask the question, how did the child get to that point? How right. often did you supply chicken nuggets to get to the point where that's the only food then that they would eat. Um, Another patient, the only food that their child would eat would be pasta with butter on it, nothing else. And the solution here has to be thinking outside of the box. Do you have any ideas for those kind of um, parents? Yes, if you have a child that is really picky and is really selective about their food choices like that, and I'm going to say this which is with as much grace as possible, but typically it's because the parent has enabled that to happen. Um, and so when you continue to give a child, when you continue to give in and give them whatever they want, because they're going to say, you know, like, I'm not going to eat unless I get chicken nuggets. But so every time you make a, ne- a meal, you make chicken nuggets, you are enabling picky behavior. You are enabling to have the control over that meal um, and you are enabling pickiness. And so what, like I said, the parent's responsibility is to provide a variety of foods. And if you think your child is going to starve, you're wrong. Like kids will eat if they are hungry enough they are going to eat. And so your job is to supply 
a variety of foods. Their job is to pick and choose from those foods what to have, or they don't eat. The consequence is they go hungry. And then the next time they're going to learn, wow, if I don't eat what's on the table, I'm going to be really hungry and I don't like that feeling. So next time I'm going to make sure to try something that maybe they, you know, don't like or think that they don't like. And I want to reiterate what you said is you're not setting up a power struggle. I mean, you realize the problem and you're thinking through it in your head, but you're not going to make these rules. Like you are going to eat this meal, blah, 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 because then you're setting yourself up for another power struggle. So it's almost like it's almost having to put on the brakes and pull back a little bit as a parent. And it's very fearful for my patients to do that. And one thing I've thought about when my patients have um, a strong faith, they can look to God as the provider and as the person that hopefully is going to um, touch their child and help them grow in a way that they're going to grow to worship and serve God. We sometimes get in the way of that when we're giving our child everything they want, when they want it and how they want it. And so having a faith that the child's responsibility is what they eat and that God is going to honor, you know, how the family is and that the family eats fairly healthy, that um, God is going to honor that and the child, that the child's going to do okay also. But let's just say that the child does gain a little bit more weight than what the parent wants them to. There again, you have to trust God that he will see it through because it just doesn't work to um, to keep badgering the child about their weight, badgering about the food they're eating. Um, you know, this starts, I, I see it as a two and three, four-year-olds where the parents have done this to the point then that the child starts hiding food. Mm-hmm. So I've seen four-year-old children have a pile of food under their bed that yep. they're hiding. Can you address this situation a little bit more? Yeah. So um, when it comes to parents, if they are concerned over the amount of food that their child is eating or their child's weight, parents should never restrict the amount of food that they're eating. You just shouldn't. That actually backfires. Um, when kids have uh, insecurities about food, about um, maybe not being able to eat to the point of satisfaction or fullness, um, it actually creates uh, the tendency to, like you said, sneak food, to hide food, to binge on food later. So you actually create more of a problem around weight and overeating if you try to restrict their intake than if you just let them learn how to eat intuitively and honor those hunger and fullness signals. So that's why I said like with, with having regular meal times and snack times, kids should be able to self-regulate on how much they're eating. And it's also important for parents to understand that as kids grow, there's gonna be different periods of time where they're going to put on more weight before a growth spurt because their body is preparing maybe for puberty or something. There's going to be times where they're going to thin out and they're going to gain, you know, like that's normal in growth. 
Um, but just trusting that it's all going to balance out as long as that child has a healthy relationship with food. But when parents instill these food rules onto these kids, like this external rules, again, it teaches the kid to not trust their body, to not trust their hunger and fullness that oh, if mom says that I have to eat this, even though I'm full, I better clean my plate because mom says that I have to, or dad says that I have to, or I really, really want that dessert. So I better finish this plate, even though I'm not hungry and overeat just so I get to taste that dessert. Like these are the things that it creates in this child and it actually leads to more weight issues. So when we look at Helen Satter's research, on the division of responsibility, a lot of these kids coming in do have weight issues because of the rules that their parents instilled on them. And when the parent removes these rules and gives the child back the ability to self-regulate like that, their weight actually stabilizes and it and it actually helps in that situation. So I know it's it's very counterintuitive or very countercultural for a lot of parents to think this way that if I just give up control that my child's gonna be okay. But that's that's how the research shows that it that it ends up most often. So and it's like giving up control to God, because yes. we of ourselves, we want to have control of everything. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we even have power struggles with God, like like I have to control what my child eats. I have to control all these different situations. And God says, you know, let go, let go. And it yep. actually makes the situation better. I was talking about strong-willed children before, but just what you mentioned now, it also is really difficult for children who are pleasers because yes. in the situations you were talking about, I could just definitely see that, I mean, if you have a child who's a pleaser, they are trying to do everything just like how you want them to. Well, then they don't learn that self-regulation. They don't notice their hunger cues or their fullness cues, et cetera. So yes, yes, definitely. Um, both sides of the aisle, I can see that happening. Yep. Yeah. 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 But I wanted to share a story about, um, so I had a client. Um, and I want to say she's in her 60s now, probably. And she, I don't know if I've shared this story before, so tell me if I have. Um, but she struggled with her, um, or her parents were really concerned about her weight growing up. And so she would actually wake up in the middle of the night because they would restrict food at her mealtime. She'd wake up in the middle of the night, eat raw potatoes. She would go down in the pantry and she would chew on raw potatoes because she was so hungry. Um, and I see this in so many different scenarios, especially like, if, if parents are super controlling about the type of food, um, they'll find candy wrappers in their kid's bed or underneath their bed because their kids are sneaking things and eating them in secrecy because they're worried about what their parents' reaction is gonna be um, to stuff like that. Where if we could just like, just be open about it and like maybe plan some snacks of, you know, milk and, and, and some cookies or candy bar or something with your kids a couple times a week and make that normal and make that something exciting that they can look forward to. That's really good and delicious and make it safe, you know, like, like eat it in this open, non-secretive way. Um, you're not going to find your kids hiding things from you like that because there's not going to be any shame or guilt associated with eating those things. And talking about shame or guilt, we as parents are just probably moms <laughs> are the worst about having shame and guilt. And sometimes when we do things that we know weren't 
exactly what we should have been doing, et cetera, sometimes we'll go and try to make up for it with our kids. And um, I have seen people who give their kids entire bags of candy and the bags of candy are sitting there on their nightstand. It's like, there's no reason to have bags of candy in a child's room that they can eat ad lib. So right. that is an example of, you know, not using food as a reward or as a, uh, I don't know, just, just keeping, like you say, making it normal, but having an open bag of candy available all the time, at least that's not what I would consider normal. Although we just went to a condo, a VRBO, they had a dish of candy there and, um, the, the four-year-old and five-year-old were so excited mm -hmm. because it was this dish of candy. But it was also interesting. They only asked for a piece of candy like twice in five days. Okay. A reasonable amount right. to right. ask for. So I don't know. What do you think about having open candy all the time? Right. So again, it's, it's going to depend on the age of the child. Um, and it's going to depend on a few different things. I, you know, when we look at Ellen Satter's division of responsibility, part of that is only having food available at those meals and snack times. Because what you get, like when I said at the beginning, one of the concerns that a lot of parents bring to me is, well, my kid won't eat dinner, but then a half hour later, they want a bowl of cereal. Well, no, like your, your child does need to learn that meat, that food is offered at this time and this time and this time and this time and this time. And if you're not going to eat at this time, it's not going to be available till that next snack. Um, because otherwise you might end up with kids grazing all day long. Like they shouldn't be available to graze all day long because then they won't eat their meals. They won't be hungry to have those meal times when the family actually sits down and has meals. So I don't believe in open grazing like that. I think once kids are older, definitely they can have access to those kind of things, but especially those younger ones, um, because they might, you know, they might just, if they have access to the pantry and can eat chips all day, they're going to fill up on chips. And then of course they're not going to eat their meals. So, so I wouldn't do that. Also from a candy standpoint, that's really bad for their teeth. So I would never, I would never allow um, like sugared candy, especially in a bedroom because um, the decay that's going to happen, I'm sure they're eating it after they're brushing their teeth at night. Um, that would not be good for their teeth at all. So uh, I, I don't think food should be in a bedroom anyway. Like that's just, that's not a place for food. Like food should be in the kitchen. It should be in the dinner table. Um, you don't want food in the bedrooms. You don't want crumbs in the bed. You don't want ants or, you know, other things that, that could, I suppose, show up if that's where you're eating. Um, so keep, keep food in, in the place where food needs to be. And that's a really good place for us to, um, to end. So I'm sure we're going to be talking more about this division of responsibility. Today, we're really looking at power struggles with um, infants and toddlers. Um, just as a very last comment here, let's talk a little bit about the infant that's spitting out their food or throwing it on the floor. Is this a power struggle? Um, power struggle or attention seeking? Yes. They're looking for a reaction from mom and what's going to happen um, if I do these things. So um, maybe you have a little bit more insight on this than I do, but I would say definitely it's more attention seeking than it is, um, you know, like a food issue. And, and I think that attention seeking can turn into uh, a power struggle as they understand what 
um, how the dynamics of the family is working and every family has different dynamics and how they go through right. it. I always tell people, don't let your children know how important it is to you that they eat healthy food mm. or it could become a power struggle. Just let them um, experience it for themselves and learn about healthy foods themselves. Yep. So, yeah, I think that's excellent point. But thank okay. you so much for joining us today. Uh, this is Brookie, Brooke and Jackie signing off with the Eat With Grace podcast. Thank you.